listeners. I'm your host, Rebecca Kelly, and welcome back to The Station, a fiction podcast about a girl named Ida who's trapped on board a dying space station called the Delta. Now, if you're new here, welcome. This podcast is me reading my novel, The Station, chapter by chapter, and the book is available as an ebook or a paperback through Amazon. I also run a very active bookstagram page on Instagram, so if you're interested in keeping up with my content, hop over there and give me a follow. I will include all the important links in the show notes below, and thank you in advance. So when we last left Ida, she had just finished her spacewalks to repair the damaged Soyuz, which is the ship that will hopefully bring her down to the surface after 18 years on board the Delta. Now, the spacewalks were not without incident, but Ida survived, and she was able to pull off the essential repairs to get the Soyuz in good shape. So the question remains, will the Soyuz be sturdy enough to see her through re-entry? Let's find out. Here are chapters 42, 43, and 44 of The Station. How are you feeling this morning? Tess asked. Fine, Edith said, her voice heavy. Just fine? Care to elaborate? Well, Edith paused, thinking for a moment. I'm feeling about as good as anyone would, considering I'm about to leave my old space station in an old spaceship that I basically duct-taped together. Tess sighed. Over the last two days, Ida had been increasingly irritated with Tess's questioning, and the behavior puzzled her. So far, the plans to bring the Soyuz down were going well. No issues had popped up, and all systems were working as they should. Tess wasn't sure why Ida was so irritable about it. But then again, there were plenty of things that she didn't understand about Ida. So, what's on your mind? Tell me, Tess said. Nothing really. I told you. I'm fine. The response was short, precise, and completely inaccurate. Tess was sure of that. Look, she said, shifting forward in her seat so she could concentrate better on her words. I don't understand what you're going through, Ida. I get that. Nobody does. But I'm trying to understand it so I can help you get through this. The more you help me, the more I can help you. Ida paused. It was the type of pause she took often as she measured her words carefully. I feel sort of blank. I don't know, it's not easy to describe. Have you ever mixed paint? Have you ever mixed paint? Tess asked quickly. Then she backtracked. She didn't want to hurt Ida by reminding her of all the life experiences she hadn't had. I'm sorry, Ida. I just mean that it's an interesting metaphor, and I'm curious to hear more. Actually, Ida said, I have mixed paint. We had art supplies on board. The paint is long gone, but when I was young, I painted lots of little pictures for my mother. Huh. Tess jotted down a note on the open tile in her hollow screen. She learned new and interesting things about Ida every single day. The fact she had access to art supplies during her childhood was a great indicator of how her personality developed. Anyway, Ida continued, When you mix paint, you get different colors, right? Like blue and red make purple, yellow and red make orange, and there are a handful of primary paint colors that all other colors derive from. 
Well, I feel like there are a certain amount of emotions you can feel. Basic ones, like fear, anger, happiness, sadness. Kind of like that movie. What was it? Ida paused, working the thought, trying to come up with the missing pieces of information. Tess waited, her index finger hovering over her screen, ready to make notes. After a few seconds, Ida snapped her fingers, and it was loud enough to hear it over the comm link. Inside out, Ida said. Inside out? That's how you feel? Tess was confused. No, I don't feel inside out. Inside out is a movie. It's really old, but I've watched it here in the archives before. It's an animated movie about the thoughts inside of a girl's brain. Did you ever see it? No, I've never even heard of it. Inside out, you called it. I'll have to check that out. She jotted down a note in her memo tile. Find Inside Out. It's actually a really good movie, Edith continued. It's about the emotions going on inside a girl's brain. There are, let me think, five of them. Joy, sadness, anger, fear, disgust. They each take their turns controlling the girl's thoughts and actions. Of course, there are a lot more emotions than those five, but the premise of the story is that these five make up the primary emotions, and other emotions are based on them. So my point is, anything we feel is really just a concoction of these basic emotions. Does that make sense? Tess cocked her head to the side, thinking about the idea. That's actually a really great way to look at it, she said, after a few seconds. Yeah, Ida said. It's like when you feel excited, it's a mix of fear and happiness, or when you feel dread, it's a mixture of fear and sadness. Okay, so when you're lonely, you might be mixing fear, sadness, and even anger, Tess added, nodding her head. Right? Yeah, exactly. So when I say I feel blank, it's like I mixed all five of these primary emotions up in one bucket, like paint. When you mix all the colors up, you get gray, or brown, or something really dull. That's what I mean. I can't pick any one or two emotions out. It's just dull. Tess couldn't have been more pleased with the discussion, and a wide smile planted itself on her face. That makes perfect sense, Ida, she said. But maybe it's not the whole situation we need to look at. Maybe you'd have a better idea of how you feel if we broke down the experience into smaller parts. Well, that's fine, but I really don't understand why you need to know any of this, Edith said, genuinely puzzled and slightly annoyed by this line of questioning. She couldn't wrap her brain around why Tess, or anybody for that matter, cared about how she felt. It wasn't something that she considered even remotely important. Because, Edith... I'm researching how such a traumatic and unprecedented event affects emotions, and I plan to publish this research so that hopefully it can help others live through similar situations in the future. If I'm going to do my research properly, I need you to cooperate and let me into your head. There was no answer from Ida, so Tess continued. Okay, then let's go through the technicalities of what's coming, and you let me know your thoughts about them. How about that? It might be easier that way. Whatever you think, Ida said. Tess straightened up her dress and sat in the desk chair, pulling the hollow screen closer to her so she could take notes easier. Let's start with the actual flight plan, she said. How are you feeling about it? You've been a big part of the planning and preparation. What do you think of it so far? 
It's something new, which is kind of exciting. I'll get to see the Delta in a way I've never seen it before. I have to admit, I am excited to see Earth as it comes closer and closer to me. Are you scared? Tess asked. No, Edith said quickly, then backtracking. Well, yes and no. I mean, I am scared. I can tell that because of the tightness I feel in my chest whenever I work on something in the Soyuz. But it's not the blatant kind of fear like when I was stuck outside the station and the hatch wouldn't close. This fear is further away. You see, to me, it's all just mechanics. The person who's willing to do the work and fix the most problems wins. That's how I've always looked at life up here. As long as I have the ability to troubleshoot, I get to live. Tess jotted down a few more notes and continued. Okay, so now what about the surface? How do you feel about the surface? You mean like the ground? Ida asked, confused. Well, yeah, the ground, but more specifically, the earth itself. How do you feel about the oceans, the fields, the mountains, the valleys? What do you feel when you think about getting to see these things in person? Well... I have seen these things, Ida reminded her. But I understand your question. What will it be like to see them up close and finally know what they smell like and what they sound like and how they feel? She paused, then continued. It's exciting, but I haven't really thought about it too much yet. There's so much work to be done first. Okay, fair enough, Tess nodded. What about the people? The people? Yeah, how do you feel about meeting new people? I, I, I don't know, Ida stuttered. She took a deep breath like she might continue, but she released it without saying anything more. Tess tried a different angle. What about Ale, she asked. He was the first person you talked to, and he's been your main contact person. What are your feelings about finally getting to see him in person? Again... There was silence. Tess could hear Ida breathing on the other end of the calm link. Short breaths. I'm scared to death of meeting Ale, she finally said. Tess nodded and made a note about social anxiety in her memo tile. You're scared of meeting him specifically? Or other people too? I'm scared of all of it, Ida said. I've never met anyone before. What if they don't like me? What if I fall short of everyone's expectations? What if I die trying to reach them and they're disappointed because I didn't make it to them alive? You know, Ida, Tess said, bringing a motherly tone into her voice. It's perfectly normal to be scared of meeting new people. In fact, it's one of the most normal things I've heard you say since I've been interviewing you. Really? Ida asked. That's really the most normal thing about me? Tess let out a chuckle and said, Sure is. You'd be surprised how common social anxiety is. You've got a heavy case of it, I'll admit that, but it's not abnormal at all. You know something else? What? You aren't going to disappoint anyone, no matter what you do. So if it helps you get into the right mindset, put those fears aside. You've got a long day and a lot of work coming up. Don't worry about meeting new people, Tess repeated. Can you do that for me? Okay, I can do that. The slight quiver in her voice smoothed out, and she took a big breath over the calm link. Good, Tess said. My time is up with you today, 
Tomorrow I'll be there to greet you in person after you land. I want you to get some good sleep tonight, so put down your worries, okay? Yes, Ida said. No worries for me tonight. Chapter 43 It's finally here. The last night. This is the last night I will spend here. Ollie was not on the comm link today. They said he's resting for tomorrow. But I really wish I could have talked with him, just to hear his voice and know what I'm doing is the right thing. Of course, I do know it's the right thing. If I don't leave tomorrow, I'll die up here. But it's not dying that scares me. It's the thought that I might never know what it's like to be on the surface that scares me most. I've been getting antsy about it, knowing the day is so close. Today I took a little barefoot walk through one of the tuber beds just to cement it in my mind what it feels like. I closed my eyes and pushed my toes into the dirt and tried to imagine I was there, on the surface, doing the same thing. The dirt felt crumbly and moist, almost like chopped up sunflower seeds made into a meal. The action of me working my feet into the soil produced a fresh smell. It's a smell I always experience when I'm working with the soil in the garden, but I've never really paid that much attention to it before now. I wondered if that smell was real, or if it was only found here in the station. Does the dirt on the surface smell the same way? I'll never know if I don't leave. Does the planet really want me? Do I belong there? I rotate around the surface, privy to the best views of our planet known to humankind, but I'm not really part of it. I was never there. I am an outsider. I belong to my own orbit. These are some of the questions that have popped into my mind lately. Deep, I know. I normally don't think too much into this type of stuff, but recently, I can't help myself. After I took my walk through the tuber bed, I packed a little science vial of soil from the garden and tucked it into the pocket of my spacesuit. I didn't tell NASA about it, they wouldn't have approved, but I needed to bring something back with me. My garden is my greatest accomplishment, and the thoughts of my plants burning up in the atmosphere makes my heart squeeze in on itself, turning it into a tiny, sour lump. It hurts. Again, I wish I could have spoken to Ale before bedtime. They had me working all day on preparing the Soyuz and going over the flight plan. They want Nix to ride with me so they can study him, too. I'm happy with that decision. I'll have my oldest and dearest friend with me on the journey into the atmosphere. For weeks, I've worked and worked and worked, and now there's nothing left to do. At 1900 GMT, they told me to get my rest and spend the rest of the night doing as I pleased. I can't say I'm happy about that, though. I don't know what to do with myself. Maybe I should spend this time thinking about all the things I hate about this space station. Maybe that will make me feel better about leaving it. So, that's what I'm going to do. I'm sitting at the table in the kitchen, dictating my final thoughts about the Delta on the small hollow screen in front of me. I'm taking this one with me. It's got my personal journal entries on it, and I really don't feel like uploading that stuff for all of NASA to read. Why is the Delta so miserable? Well, first there's the toilet. How many times can one person fix a space station toilet? 593 times is the correct answer. I hate having to fix that damn toilet. I'm hoping that the toilets on Earth aren't so silly, 
They don't have suction mechanisms or storage tanks or tiny little valves that can get clogged and easily broken. When the toilet breaks on Earth, you can probably find another toilet. Or you can hire someone else to fix the toilet for you. That will be nice. Another reason this place is miserable is because New is here. I miss her so much it hurts. And I don't know New anywhere else. If the Delta is no more, then she will be gone forever. Everything she touched or researched or worked on will all roll back into the atmosphere as rubble. There are times when I can actually feel her here with me, like she's part of this station. She loved this place, and she taught me how to run it and fix it and love it too, just because there were no other options. That's what I loved most about her. She knew what we had to do to stay alive. Even when I was little and I wailed about how much I hated that we couldn't run through the poppy fields like Dorothy and the Tin Man, she kept me calm and showed me what there was to love about it. I miss her. I don't want to leave the memories of her, but maybe if I leave I can move on and finally lay her to rest. I have to remember, after all, that New wasn't always on the Delta. There was a time in her life when she was on the surface like every other human. I want that for myself. Perhaps the most important reason I hate this place is because Ale isn't here. He's been my rock through the last few months. I can't imagine a life where I never get to meet him in person. I picture him in my mind, and it brings me shivers of joy and tingles of excitement. I think about his smile, his hair, his mouth, his nose, his arms, his chest. Wait, what was I saying? Chapter 44 Would you like me to make you some eggs for breakfast, Ida? Nix asks me the next morning. We aren't in the kitchen. We're floating in the VP, looking down on the surface. It's almost 1100 GMT, which means it's about 0700 in Baltimore. I smile at Nix's joke about the eggs. It's a lame joke, but he doesn't know any better. He's a victim of his programming. Oh, Nix, your eggs are very good, but I'll pass today, I say. Of course, we've never had eggs here, and even if we did, Nix couldn't have made them himself, even if he'd wanted to. How much longer do we have, Nix? I ask. Ten minutes, thirty-two seconds, he replies. Thanks. The earth is displayed below, creeping along under the station as if being pushed by a tiny engine at a snail's pace. There's a huge hurricane over the Pacific, right in the middle of my view. Fortunately, I'm supposed to land in New Mexico, a good way from it, but I shake my head as I look at it. That would be my luck to plop down right in the middle of the Pacific, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a hurricane. I close my eyes and force myself to smile again. It's leaving day. I've been waiting for this day for the last six weeks. Well, actually, for the last 18 years and six weeks. It's not easy to describe what it feels like to leave home, knowing you'll never come back. It's almost heartbreaking. I had my heart broken once, when New died and I'm not excited to go through it again. This old station is going to burn up in the atmosphere in about four days, according to NASA's calculation. We shaved it really close, but the NASA guys claim that I'm ready to go. Everything is prepped, fueled, juiced, hyped, and recorded. I've run simulations, safety drills, and escape scenarios. They say we're ready, but I don't feel ready. 
I open my eyes and glance down at the surface. The station has moved past the hurricane, and now I can see the west coast of the United States below me. It's so much more comforting to look over that vast, sprawling swath of land instead of the cool blue ocean and its frothy storm. Land. That's where I'm supposed to be. That beautiful brown and green landscape looks warm and inviting. I turn to Nix and say, Let's get out of here. Yes, ma'am, he says in his calm voice. I pull myself close to the largest window in the center of the VP. It's scuffed and scratched with age and wear, and I press my hands against it. Then I press my lips against it. I will never see this view again. I will never be the girl up in the space station again. At that moment, I know, deep down, that's exactly what I want. I push myself away from the window, grab Nick's by his hand, and pull him through the VP and toward the waiting Soyuz. Let's go home, I say. Thanks for listening, sci-fi fans. In the next episode, we'll join Ida as the time comes to finally undock from the Delta. You don't want to miss it. See you then. Bye.